morning again and welcome to our guests. Welcome to those of you who are new to fellowship. Welcome. I hope that you uh, already have been very warmly welcomed and received and that you're encouraged uh, by being here and a part of our worship service today. Uh, it is certainly a goal of ours as a church to, to be a place that is very welcoming to those that God brings to us. And uh, again, I hope and pray that that's been the case for you. Um, I'm going to begin a, a new preaching series uh, today called Gospel Conversations, and I'm going to explain that title um, a little bit later, uh, a little bit later in the message. I'll get back to that and explain what I mean by that. But what I'd like to do now is just kind of explain where I'm going uh, with this uh, series uh, over the next several weeks, and I'd like to do that explain to you kind of where I'm going over the next several weeks. But I'd like to do that uh, with an illustration. And uh, so I'd like to use a baseball illustration since I'm a baseball fan. Um, so it's been said that the, the most difficult thing to do in all of sports is to hit uh, a baseball. Now, you might not agree with that, but especially a baseball that's traveling over 95 miles an hour with incredible spin, and then to hit it hard enough and in a location in which... Uh, none of the nine fielders that are out there can actually catch it and get you out. And in this sport, if you can do that three out of ten times, you're actually one of the best hitters, which means you can, be, you can fail uh, seven times out of ten and uh, still be pretty good. Again, proving just how hard it is. And in baseball pitchers, what they do is intend to deceive hitters. And hitters look for any advantage that they can gain. They'll look for patterns. They'll look for tells. Anything the pitcher does that might help them or tell them what pitch is coming and where it's going. And by making sense of the pitcher's patterns, then batters, they have a better chance of hitting the ball. Uh, and hitters, when they hit, also do not swing where the ball is when they see it, they, they swing where the ball's going to be. And then again, based on where they see it coming, and all of this happens really fast, especially at, at a major league level. It takes about 150 milliseconds for a batter to just see the ball and to decide whether to swing the bat when you're looking at a pitch at over 95 miles an hour, and then another 150 milliseconds to actually swing the bat, that's fast. A 100 mile per hour fastball takes 375 to 400 milliseconds to reach home plate. That's, for reference, the blink of an eye takes about 300 to 400 milliseconds. So if you're five, three to five milliseconds late, you, you swing and you miss. And even if you're on time, your bat needs to be where the ball is, it needs to be in the right location. And that's why, again, hitters study pitchers, and they study their patterns. Anything to get an advantage, knowing what to look for, helps a lot. And so I'm not going to talk about baseball the rest of the day, so don't worry. But back to this series, this series is designed to help all of us see patterns, ways of thinking, belief systems, world views, and to see them with accuracy and to see them with precision even. And so just as hitters are really trying to figure out what pitch is coming, 
and, and, and to figure out where it might go, where the pitch might go. As believers, what we need to do is we need to know how Satan attacks. We need to know how he deceives, what he's intending to do, where he's going with it, and to be able to identify it. And so just as a pitcher is looking to deceive the hitter, Satan is looking to deceive humanity. He's looking to deceive you, even professing believers. And so we need the wisdom, we need the discernment to know what is truth. We need to know what is false. We need to know what is deception. We need to know what's partially true and what's partially false. I think even more importantly, when it's partially true, partially false. And there are many ideas, many belief systems. There are many world views that are in the world today. And all of them are battling for your mind. I want you to realize that. Whether you, whether you realize it or not, this is what's happening. There's, there's ideas, there, there are belief systems, there are worldviews. They're battling for your mind. They're battling for your heart. They're battling for your loyalty, your devotion. And that's, again, why it's so important for us to be able to identify these things and to know. And so my prayer is that this study, the series in general, but even today, it will help all of us know better how to respond biblically and with discernment to be able to identify what is coming because, because we, we are, our minds have been, have been trained in the truth and we can, we can see and we can know, we can understand what the what pitch is coming at us. And so that's part of what I'm hoping to do throughout the series and even today. And, and so let me, let me just pray and ask God to lead us and then I'll continue to share with you where, where I'm going. Lord God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that it is not something that we have to guess what it is. But Lord God, you have shown us through your word that truth is revealed by you to us. This is revelation. We just need ears to hear, eyes that are seeing and not blinded or deceived. We need hearts that are open. We need feet that are willing to walk in obedience, hands that are willing to do what it is that God has called us to do again in obedience. So guide and direct me and direct this uh, message, this series throughout uh, from, from today over the next several weeks, Lord, and just help us as people to be discerning and wise and, and able to follow what it is that God has set forth in his word is truth. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. So what I'd like to do is, uh, in the beginning here, is just start by setting up where, where I'm going. And, and, and I want to start uh, doing that by telling you that a massive shift has, has occurred uh, in America and in many other parts of the world. But, but specifically, obviously, we live here, so I want to reference specifically uh, America. Now, we, we know that uh, America declared its independence uh, from England 246 years ago uh, tomorrow, and the country has changed significantly over those 246 years. What's, what's changed? What's changed? 
Well, the shift in America is this. I, I tried to put it down in a way that makes sense. The prevailing belief systems, ideologies, and worldviews of America have shifted from more of a Christian foundation to a secular, humanistic, post-truth. There was a lot of adjectives I could have kept adding there. Uh, foundation. Now, I want to be clear on what I'm not saying as well. This is not to say, and I am not saying, that all of America was Christian or regenerated by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the prevailing belief systems, the ideologies, the worldviews that the majority of this country lived by were Christian principles. And that is no longer the case. That has changed. And so the, one of those changes, again, is that, is that America has shifted from more of a Christian what, a cosmology, which I'm going to explain in a little bit, to a pagan, godless cosmology. Now, you might say, well, what is that? I'm not, it's not cosmetology. Uh, cosmology. Just to be clear, cosmology is simply this. It's the science and the origin and develop, uh, of the development of the universe. Basically this. How you believe, what you think about how this universe came into existence. That there's been a massive shift in that as well. And, and what we have learned is that what you think about that actually impacts everything. It impacts how you live. It impacts what you think. It impacts how you worship, what you worship. And I'm going to get more into that in a little bit. But there's been a massive shift and that's one area, and we're going to talk about that area in a little bit more. Let me now give you what I hope to be the goal of this series, and I want to start, I want to do that uh, first by telling you what it's, what is the, what's not the goal. The goal of this series is not to advocate for all of us to return to the nostalgic good old days. I want to be clear about that. It's not what this is. It's not a, it's not a boy, didn't it? Didn't things used to be better back here? Boy, if we could just go back there. That, that, that's not the goal of, of this series. I, I, don't, I don't think that would be particularly helpful uh, to us, especially as Christians. Things have changed. We're not there. And, and even if you put that time into today, it would never be the same because it's different now. Everything has changed. So what is the goal? The goal then is to clarify biblical ideas and worldview from unbiblical ones, from unbiblical ideas. This is so key. In fact, if I, were, if I were a parent and my children were all young, growing up in the home now, because our, our, our kids are grown, I would have a, this, would be a, this would be a mindset of mine that I would be very intentional about making sure they understand, which maybe was not the case when, when our kids were younger. Clarifying biblical ideas and worldview from unbiblical ones. Not just, not just reciting scripture, not just saying specific things, but understanding how these truths apply. We need help in identifying what the pitches that Satan is throwing at us. And I, again, I, I've said it before and I'm going to continue to say it. We need to know how to think biblically about life. Think biblically about the world. Think biblically about culture and society 
and social issues. We need to be able to think biblically about these things. And what I believe is happening is Satan is taking down churches and and ministries and people because they can't, staying with my metaphor here, they can't hit the curveball of false cultural ideologies. And then the strikeouts are just piling up. We need this discernment, this ability. So what I'd like to do, I would like to start with, again, this is just a start, it's not comprehensive. Let's look at this unbiblical cosmology that I talked about earlier. A a, a case could easily be made that all false belief systems, um, all false belief systems and uh, worldviews get get cosmology wrong at the beginning. They get the beginning wrong. And, and when you get the beginning wrong, it all goes wrong fast. And so one of Satan's tactics is that you can get the beginning wrong and get the rest right. That's, one of the, that's again, just a strategy that, that he is out there using. You can still somehow end up at the right God. Consider, consider this question, and I actually have two here that I want to show you. Consider the question, who controls reality? Think about that. that. This is a question people think about whether they go to church or not. And, and how they live, the things they do, reflect what they, how they answer that question. Is it the creator God? Is it me? Is it the universe? Another question is, you know, is it, is it fate? Is it, is it karma? Or is there such a thing as divine providence? See, these are big questions of life, and, and both are, are answered by our understanding of how the world came into existence. Genesis 1.1, again, you know it. If, if you've uh, been in the church uh, for any period of time, this is a very familiar verse for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what I want to do immediately is contrast that with with one person, but one person in, in particular because it represents a whole group of people. But I want to contrast that with what contemporary feminist philosopher Camille Paglia wrote as the first line in one of her books. In the beginning was nature. That is a direct, very direct, foundational contrast from the biblical worldview. So if that's the first line in her book, you should know the rest of that book is the the unfolding of that. That's a religious book. It's not characterized as one. But it's making religious claims about how the world came into existence You see, the foundation of the unbiblical worldview, one of the things we need to realize about this is one of the foundations of the unbiblical worldview is this. In the beginning, anything else but God. In the beginning, anything else but God. That's what... That's what we see, that's what we hear out there. And again, this is a tactic of the enemy that we should all be aware of. Genesis 1-1 is a loud, very loud, powerful, sweeping declaration from God himself. And he's saying this, everything started with God. 
Everything started with God. It all starts with God. And then you can look at the Bible. You can go to Genesis 1-1 and you can look at the Bible and you say, okay, in the beginning, God, and then the rest of this book is really the unfolding, the explanation of all that God has done and that he is revealing to humanity. So what I'd like to do now is I want to turn to uh, Romans 1 is where I'd like to spend our time. And I want to do here, what I'd like to do here is reveal uh, these, these powerful truths that make all of this clear. And so I, I need to read a section of this. So I want to start at verse 18 and then we'll, we'll start breaking it down. This is, uh, this is Paul writing uh, to, to Christians in Rome. And Romans 1 really is like a treatise of the understanding of the brokenness of the world. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Paul can't even finish that statement without, without going into a doxology after talking about who God is. So I wanna break this down. I'm gonna do that by asking some questions and then giving you some answers that are coming right out here out of the text. So we'll start with what has God revealed? Now, I wanna take the answers from verse 20, what he has revealed. We see in verse 18, he's revealed the wrath of God. But what I'm doing is looking at this specific revelation that Paul's talking about in verse 20. What has he revealed? His invisible attributes, the characteristics about God that you cannot see, his eternal power. Don't just, you know, completely go over that too quickly. God has revealed his eternal power, power he has always had and always will have. That, that, that's, that's a statement. His divine nature, God has revealed his nature to be divine, to be of God. Meaning this, he is not like us. That's what that means. It means, it means I, am, I am different, altogether separate, altogether distinct. All right, when did God reveal these things? When? Ever since the creation of the world. Verse 20. Ever since the creation of the world. So these things have been revealed to humanity about God. And creation has played a significant role in that revelation. How did God reveal these things? Not just when. That's the when. How? In the things that have been made. 
in creation. Again, verse 20. So, so God is revealing these attributes about himself, eternal power, divine nature, and, and he's doing it in the things that have been made, creation. So we know when God revealed these things and we know how he did it. So what happened? How did humanity respond to that revelation, right? That's it. That's impressive re- revelation. Humanity must have been in awe of that, right? Well, and Paul tells us otherwise, wrong. Humanity's response to God's revelation. Humanity did not honor God as God, verse 21. Humanity became futile in their thinking about God, verse 21. Humanity's heart was darkened. Again, 21, humanity boasted of wisdom, but what they actually proved is that they're foolish. You see that in 22. These are are terrible consequences for humanity. All of these are condemning. You don't honor God as God. You become futile. In other words, when humanity thinks about God... Their thinking about him is futile. It's, it's, it's have no worth. It has no value. Why? Because when God revealed these things to humanity ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, they didn't recognize it. So why are these responses that we're seeing here so terrible. What, why, why did this happen? Again, don't, don't miss this. What, what, what Paul is revealing here, again, this is not just a problem for, the, uh, for, for uh, people that in, in Rome where, where Paul wrote this, but this is for all of humanity. Why, why are they so terrible? Why did this happen? Because humanity rejected God as divine creator of all things. There was a rejection of God as the creator of all things. And that led to a lot of of these problems. It led to not honoring God as God, becoming futile in their thinking about God, hearts that are darkened, boasting of wisdom, but proving to be foolish. And so what we see here is that apparently Genesis 1-1 is really important, even with gospel matters. And it is especially, Especially important if you want to have a biblical worldview. In fact, it is the foundation to a biblical worldview. You have to get the beginning right. Notice verse 24, God gave them up. God gave them up. He's talking about the people who refused or rejected this revelation about who God is. Specifically, God is creator. And he gave them up, meaning he let them go as unrestrained. What that that means is he he took the restraints off and just allowed them to pursue their sin for all it's worth. And then he lists another significant reason as to why all of this is happening. Why why all of this that he is describing here happening? What what is that significant reason here that, that Paul gives us? And here's the, here's the reason he gives. Humanity has exchanged the truth about God for a lie about God. 
Humanity has taken the truth about God and exchanged it for a lie about God. Now he explains also what is that lie. And here it is. Humanity has chosen to worship and serve the creature rather than worshiping and serving the creator. That's the lie. The lie is that you would worship and serve the creature, not the creator. So when you, when you look at this text, what you really see here, and, and this is kind of where I'm going with not just today, but in the, in, in the weeks to come, the scripture is really giving us two ways to live. Really just two ways. If you, if you want to simplify what it, what it means uh, to, to live for God, you could, really, you could really break this down into just two ways to live, two choices. What are those? First one, worship and serve your creator God. That's the truth of verse 25 when he says the truth. Or worship and serve the creature which basically means the creation of God in any way. That's the lie of 25. So there was an exchange of truth for a lie. The exchanging of the truth is worship and serve your creator God. The lie, worship and serve the creature. And that's really it. Those are, those are the two available choices. Two ways to live. If you're not living your life in the worship and service of your creator God, the creator God of the Holy Scriptures, his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're worshiping and serving the creature. That's what he's saying. He's presenting these as, as mutually exclusive choices. Sorry, you know, relativism isn't going to work here. You can't, you can't choose both. What he's saying is you either worship and serve the creator God, one. If you are not doing that, what Paul is saying, then you're doing something else. You're serving and worshiping the creature, the creation of God. You know what that means? That means that even atheists and agnostics are worshipers. Well, there, there, there's, there's two ways. You're, you're either living in the worship and service of God, or as Paul's saying here, you've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and you're living in the service of the creature, the creation of God, yourself or nature. You see, we all serve someone. Every false idea, every false belief, every false worldview, it undermines the reality of God as the creator of all things, where it all starts. So consider where we are today. And, and, and so what, what I'd like to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, put some statements here up, uh, up on the screen. Not yet, but I'm going to do that in a little bit. And, and I want you to ask this question. Who is being worshipped and served? So this is kind of like a pop quiz. For some of you who just finished school, you're like, that just really made me anxious, Pastor. Just thought, don't worry. 
<laughs> no grade here. But each of these statements are either worshiping and serving the creator or the creature. So this is where we are today. This is our world today. This is the world we're living in. So first one is morality is now relative. We all determine what is right for us. Who's that serving? The creature. Who's being served? Who's being worshipped? Honesty and integrity means being true to yourself. Not true to some old ancient writing book or God that was spoken of in that ancient book. Who's being served? Who's being worshipped? The creature. All models of sexuality, family, and gender are acceptable as opposed to what has been actually revealed in and through this revelation of God who's being served, who's being worshipped, the creature. Marriage between one man and one woman is no longer distinguishable from almost any other relationship. Who's being served? Who's being worshipped? Motherhood, women's health care is celebrated alongside abortion on demand. Who's being, who's being served and worshipped? When we start, we could have a list that goes on and on and on, but it's either creature or creator. It can't be both. It can't be both. And, and Satan's de- deceptive tactics, they, they need to be seen and they need to be recognized. We need to realize what is going on. And, and what's so interesting about this is this idea of creator and, and creature, it's not, it's not new and it's certainly not new when it comes to the, to, the, to the scriptures speaking of God as creator because the Bible has been declaring this message for ages. Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. What, what, do, you, what do you think Isaiah meant by that writing when inspired by the spirit to write it? That God spoke something into existence that did not exist? That, that's what I'm thinking he, he thought and and. And, and, and wrote about there that, that the Lord is the everlasting God. And one of the ways he recognizes that the Lord is the everlasting God is that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. There's nothing I look at, Isaiah is saying, that doesn't tell me who God is. David knew it. David declared it in Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What's so interesting about what David wrote here in Psalm 8 is he immediately goes to creator, creature, right? Because the first thing he does is recognizes who God is as creator and finds his rightful place as a human, as a man. And he says, how is it that you're mindful of me? You're the creator God. I look at the heavens, I see the work of your fingers, I see the moon and the stars that you set in place. How in the world is it that you actually even care about me? He recognizes his place. You see what David's doing there? He's he's agreeing with what Paul wrote in Romans 1. He recognizes I am here to serve and worship the creator God alone. Nehemiah, he knew of it in 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone you have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, 
with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. The host of heaven worships you. Nehemiah is acknowledging that as he looks and he sees what God has created, that he sees that they are actually worshiping God. In other words, the creator is in the right place and the creation is in the right place. Even the writer of Hebrews declared this. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 11, which is that great faith chapter, the first by faith, the first by faith is 11.3. By faith, we understand what? That the universe was created by the word of God. What does that tell you? It, it, that, that word created is, is speaking to the fact that God creates something out of nothing. He speaks and things come into existence so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do, do, do you see what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate? God doesn't create from, from a, a set of supplies that he gathers. He speaks into nothing and things come into existence and it's part of why he's God. So when this is robbed, when this is taken from him, we are taking from God something that makes him God. And that's why Satan uses this to deceive so many. Paul declared it even when speaking of Jesus in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him, but not just through him created for him. Those last two words, you know, what the, you know what they're saying? Serve and worship the creator. Not the creation. Not the creature. Even the last book of the Bible, Revelation, still continues to make this clear when the host of heaven, the literal host of heaven gives glory to Christ and in giving glory to Christ, what do they say in Revelation 4.11? They say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, to receive honor, to receive power. Why? Because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is strong language of even what is yet to come. That our God is the creator God of all things. Everything belongs to him. And that is why when worship is taken from him, it is robbing God of his glory. So God will always be creator and we will always be creaturely. We need to remember that. The Bible starts with God as creator and eternal glory continues with God as creator. Our problem is that we want to worship and serve a God like us or we want to make ourselves like God. So we don't like the distinction, right? Of, of God being who he is and us being who we are we want to try to bridge that gap, but we don't, we, we, we bridge it by bringing ourselves up into the place 
of God or bringing God down to us. And neither of those are options in God's eyes. Because remember, God is not like us. He is altogether distinct. We are to worship and serve him alone. And that's what this series is going to demonstrate. That there's only one God. One God to worship and serve. Every other option is nothing more than exchanging truth for a lie. Every other option is exchanging creature worship for creator worship. Every other one. That's, those are the two ways to live from Romans 1. You, you, either, you either serve the creator God or you are exchanging the truth about God for a lie and you are living your life, whether you recognize it or not. And I, I, I think there are people who don't realize this, who are, who are waking up every day and thinking, well, no, I'm actually not a religious person. I don't worship and serve anything. But the reality is they are. So again, my hope is to help you see what the deceiver is throwing at us. The patterns, the ideas, the ways that he uses false ideas and worldviews to deceive us. And so here's what's going to happen over the next five weeks. This gospel conversations that I told you earlier I'd, I'd explain. We're going to look at uh, five different worldviews and belief systems and then for each belief system, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be speaking on stage here with someone from our congregation, someone who's experienced that uh, belief system um, or worldview themselves in their own life. We'll sit together uh, on the stage and I'll have a conversation with that person. We're going to walk through their story and I want you to hear how God has worked in their life. And then after each conversation, I'll give some teaching on that subject. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be covering a couple different areas, and I'll share those with you. New Ageism, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholicism, and Mormonism. And for each of those, you're going to, again, hear from someone who has direct experience with that particular belief system. Now, I've already spoken to all of them. And I'm really excited about what it is that you're going to be able to hear. The testimonies of how God has worked. So not only are you, not only are you going to get some, some techniques and ways and, and information to help you learn how to combat the false ideas of our world, but I think you're going to be very encouraged by your own brothers and sisters in Christ to hear what God has done in their life. And I think you're going to see that there really are only two ways to live. You either worship and serve your creator God, or you worship and serve the creature, the creation. And so my encouragement today and going forward is that we would all gladly serve and worship the creator God. Give him the praise and the glory that he is due. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal truth to us, that you haven't left us just trying to figure it out. You didn't just give us clues. We're not on a treasure hunt. You have revealed yourself. You have revealed your truth. And Lord, we desire to live in worship of you, right worship. 
We want to see you as the God who owns the universe, who created all things, including every one of us. The very breath that we have, that we're breathing, it comes from you. And so how could we live any other way other than to live in service and in worship of you? So Lord God, I pray that you would continue to lead us as as we seek to commit our lives to you. Help us to have wisdom and discernment to understand the ways in which Satan seeks to deceive us. Help us to have uh, the ability through your word to be able to determine and tell patterns that he uses. And Lord, help us to be able to think biblically, rightly, with a gospel mindset for so many of the things that are going on around us. And I ask your blessing on this series. I ask your blessing on each person that will be sharing and a part of this. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them and our congregation as we hear uh, just the wonderful testimonies that you will be sharing with us. We give you the praise and the glory that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.